0: I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets.
1: You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Hornady Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Swerzyk. And across the table, I have fellow marketeer, Judge Erzinka and Miles Neville back on the show, guys. Thanks for coming on.
0: Absolutely. Good morning. Excited to chat here.
1: Yeah, excited to chat. And Judd, you're in on this one because you got some things to chat about in regard to this topic. And admittedly, I avoid for a while. I avoided gas guns like the plague just because they weren't fun to me. Um, I shot a lot of them for a while, and I was all into them. And then I got into bolt guns and building bolt guns, and that's just where I went. Well, now I'm back. Uh, <laughs> so within uh, within that statement, that generally. I don't know a lot about the nuance. You know, in my AR experience was they're fun to shoot. They're cool. I buy one, slap them together. They're pretty easy to build. Bang, 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 bang. Everything's fine. Well, now with the advent of cartridges like the 6 millimeter ARC and the 22 ARC, I find myself coming back to the gas gun world. And with all the things we have as an industry, you know, the gas blocks and, you know, the suppressors and the different parts and the advancements of the parts and the different ammo and the different bore diameters, it's a fun time to be an AR guy now. And so, uh, Jed, I know you've dabbled as well and kind of find your, found yourself in a spot where you get all the money, you get all the stuff built and it, it's a single shot.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been there for a little while. Yeah. But yeah, I'm kind of on the opposite side of you, Seth. I haven't, I haven't jumped into the, the bolt gun build yet, but I've done a handful of ARs now and oh, it's just fun. You know, it is. You can buy assembled ones and they're just as fun to shoot. But oh it's just kinda neat to have a part and piecing them together.
1: I agree. Miles.
2: Uh, the aftermarket is so huge anymore. I mean you can you can do so many different things from mm-hmm. you know, five and a half pound guns up to twenty pound guns and whatever. Seven Everything seven, in seven inch barrel to a twenty eight inch barrel. I mean, yeah. Anything anything in between you yeah. got yeah, got and a ton you've of versatility.
1: Fancied yourself uh a, a, a builder of sorts and you've tinkered uh to say the least over the last I you don't know decade and a half or whatever of just playing around with ARs.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people have. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's uh it's an it's a mind virus that gets <laughs> into your head and you're like, oh, I bet I could do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you start shopping and next thing you know, there's a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. And, it, and easy <laughs> to spend money. And you've done some winning in that world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Show oh, yeah. Pierre gas Gaskin last year. So
1: Yeah, and finished
2: second? Second, second for overall the season. For yep. the
1: season. Uh, and you know, working here at Hornady, we get, man, you want to talk about, we've got a lot of employees and all of the employees are pretty well, uh, participants of this sport mm-hmm. and man, just here within the shop, you can see, you know, some super budget build. I got this whole thing put together for 350 bucks and I just bounce around in the truck and shoot a coyote every now and then with it. And then on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, you can see you pressed in a few others with. $3,500 setups where you turn the barrel down yourself on the lathe, chambered the sucker, and it, you know, shoots groups that are on par with some bolt gun. So you really see this huge gamut of performance and cost, but they're all pretty darn cool. Yeah. So yep. what I wanted to do with this podcast is really kind of lay out some things. First, we're gonna, I'd like to start with the basics of a gas impingement system. What are some of the parts on the gun and how do they interact with each other? Then we'll shift gears to the ammo side of things and what's the ammo's role in making this you know this symphony all sound right and then end with all of those variables on the gun and on the ammo side sometimes you end up with a a scenario where like i said earlier judd you end up with a single shot and it's not supposed to be so what knobs can we turn as the builder or as the end user of the gun to get things set up with a certain ammo to run feed cycle Uh, lock back on an empty mag, all of those things, maybe influence accuracy. Um, So to start, gas impingement systems. Let's lay out the basic parts in your basic gas impingement AR that you're going to need to know about.
2: Okay. Um, Yeah, so home, home base is probably the barrel. Um, And then the barrel has an extension screwed onto the back of it. And that extension acts pretty similarly to like uh, receiver lugs on a bolt action, if you're familiar with that. Um, and then you have a bolt that has seven lugs and then they're spaced equally for eight. And then the, the one that's not a lug is where the extractor sits. Okay. Um, and so that goes in and then just makes a very slight rotation and that locks up those lugs together, um, to hold all the pressure went for the firing event. So in that respect, that portion of it is very similar to how a bolt action or, you know, any rotating bolt system is, straight pull, yeah, bolt action. You just don't
1: roll yeah. the bolt with your hand. You just,
2: right. Yeah. It's, and it's a lot less rotation than a two lug 90 degree throw. It's, I forget what the, what it is exactly. Yeah, but there's
1: seven lugs, so they don't have to yeah, go very yeah. far. Yeah,
2: seven lugs moving half of it, a sixteenth of a turn, basically, uh, to lock into place. Um, and then, so you got your bolt, your bolt's inside of a carrier behind it. And we'll, we'll touch more on that later, but then going forward through the barrel, it's just a normal chamber and a rifled bore all the way to a point. And at that point, um, generally speaking, about two thirds down the length of the bore, two thirds to three quarters, there's a hole drilled in it. That's your gas port. And so, what happens is when you fire, you know, powder burns behind it, builds up pressure, changes from a solid state powder into a gaseous state behind the bullet. And then it goes, and then pressure vents up through that hole. And then it goes through the gas block or the front sight base. If you got, you know, like an A2, right? A2, A1. Um, most people anymore are just using low profile gas blocks, but, um, and it goes through the gas block. And what the gas block does is basically provide a channel to a gas tube and then hold the gas tube in in place, uh, above the barrel. And so the gas tube has a hole in the bottom of it. Those all line up that gas port, the gas block, and that hole in the gas tube all line up and the the pressure, the gas burning comes up and then makes a turn around and then goes back through the gas tube back into the upper receiver. And then it follows into what's called the carrier key, which is that little tube on top of the bolt carrier. Um, It goes down inside and there's a hole, there's a connection of drilled holes basically through all those pieces that goes into a chamber behind the bolt. So inside the bolt carrier, behind the bolt body, there's a little piston chamber for gas. And it actually does two things, pushes the bolt forward and then pushes the carrier rearward. Um, And that separation, with the bolt moving relative to the carrier or the carrier moving backwards, basically it pushes the carrier backwards away from the bolt. Uh, there's a cam inside there that rotates the bolt. So basically that pressure runs all the way back through, pushes the carrier backward. That motion of moving backward rotates the bolt and frees it from the barrel extension lugs. And then that whole assembly bolt carrier group gets pushed back into a buffer, which is then has a buffer spring behind it. So the carrier pushes back, compresses a spring. Uh, your next round in the magazine pops up, and then it, that spring pushes everything back home. Bolt hits the breech face or a chambered uh, cartridge, uh, and it basically stops. The carrier keeps moving, and as it moves, it does that camming action again, rotates the bolt lugs back into, into battery, and then you're ready to go You're again. ready to go. Yeah, and then I guess during that whole process, the bottom of the carrier resets the hammer, recocks the hammer.
1: Oh yeah, across the top right. of the trigger.
2: Yep, yep. So that and that's the thing that initiates it. I guess we should, yeah. But you yeah. pull the trigger, it swings a hammer forward, hits a firing pin, firing pin sets off the cartridge, and then yeah, just goes through. All that. of that happens, yep. and
1: it can happen <laughs> real fast. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You'd almost need like a little super simple diagram just played on a loop of that happening. Yeah, and enough. you
2: can go on YouTube. There's yeah. several of those if you just want to. Yeah. yeah.
1: So although that sounds really complex, it is relatively simple, right. and there are bunch of parts in there that you mentioned that we're going to talk about in greater depth. Um, before we go too far, though, I want to talk about that uh, gas port in the barrel. Right. You said it's usually you know somewhere two thirds, three quarters of the length down the barrel. So uh, talk to us about you know the pistol, the carbine, the rifle, the rifle plus one. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, um, more or less those are standard. What you'll find is gas tubes come in standard length, and so for really really short stuff like under ten inch barrels. Uh, you're going to see most of those set at what is called a pistol length. Okay. Um, so that's just the
1: location yeah, of that location port. Yeah, location
2: of where the port is. And then going from like 10 to 16, you'll see most things on a carbine, right? maybe 10 to 14 and a half, 10 to 16. You'll still see carbine length 16 inch barrel. So the 16 inch barrel will have a carbine length port. And I think that's somewhere around nine inches in front of the upper receiver. Okay. Um, and then there's a mid length, which is popular between like fourteen and a half and eighteen inches or so. They called it the mid length. It's in between a carbine and a rifle. Okay. And then a rifle length system is like eighteen to twenty four inches in like a five five six. Um, but then you'll see other cartridges where um you have Like the six arc, we went rifle plus one or rifle plus two. Yeah, plus one inch plus two inches. Yeah, and so that's rifle length plus an extra inch or rifle length plus two inches. And that's just just to locate where that gas port gets drilled. Um, And that's really a playback on the pressure and volume of gas that a certain cartridge produces. So if you were to, for whatever reason, do a 20-inch 300 blackout and you put a rifle length gas port in it, well, the, the blackout has a really fast burning powder, and so that pressure curve is going to go up and come back down. And by the time that gas reaches a rifle link system, you probably can't make the port big enough to feed enough gas back, back in to cycle, okay. to have enough to cycle the action. So that you'll see... Sense. Something like a 300 blackout will always have like a pistol or a carbine. You typically always have a pistol or carbine like gas oh, system.
1: Perfect. So we got our basic parts. We got our basic kind of standards, if you will, of where mm-hmm. that port's going to be located. Um, and then talk briefly about port size, because as I understand it, that's not a standard. You know, sometimes you see an 86 or you see a hundred thou diameter port, right, right. but there's no set standard per se. There's yeah, some... and
2: this gets a little bit deeper than, than I... I'm really familiar with, um, but yeah, they, vary. they okay. vary. You'll if you go grab ten different barrels from ten different manufacturers, you might have six of them that are the same, and then you'll have plus or minus either way from from there.
1: Okay. Um, but the diameter of that port could really dictate how much gas can yeah, get up exactly. into the tube. exactly.
2: Yep. If you have a super tiny gas port, uh, you're gonna have less gas that flow, less volume of gas flow through it during during the time event that you have. Mm -hmm. um yeah you're just going to have a lower just the viscous nature of things yeah it's going to flow less gas and if it's bigger it's going to flow more gas yep um and and yeah so there's a in general you're looking for a happy spot there because you can do too little and it won't work you can do too much and and it it doesn't work it won't work yeah
1: okay interesting spot so moving back then you know the barrel uh you've got gas traveling down the barrel hits the port goes through the gas uh block up through the gas tube we talked about the lengths now you're back to the bolt and the bolt carrier and those from a dimensional standpoint really have to be a standard because they have to fit in all of the yep. ARs, which is one of the beauties of the AR. But there is some nuance there too, different weights and yeah, slight yeah. configurations.
2: Um yeah, you get different so you like uh, a lot of guys for three gun will will try to play with low math carriers. Um, because having less reciprocating math in the weapon generally creates less recoil. Uh, if you can balance everything out, if you can keep it from bottoming out hard and, and creating like a shock at the end of the travel, if you can balance that out so you have less reciprocating mass, it's it's less felt recoil. Generally, mm. is how that translates. Um, so there's different carrier weights just in the carrier itself, and then there's additionally some carriers that will accept a carrier weight, so you can oh, add you even can... more carrier or more weight to the to the carrier. Interesting. Um, and then inside on the bolt, there's gas rings uh which is acts really like a a, a ring in your piston yeah like an a piston engine. ring yeah and and it's uh, a wear item basically that fits into the bore of the of the bolt carrier um and it's just a, a gas seal creates a gas seal and there's different flavors different sizes mechanisms like um some of them are three individual like c-clip rings and yep. then some of them are like a coil um people have different pro- type, proprietary things that you can play with
1: okay so even though they are standard and everything's the same and works together, there is some nuance there too. Yep.
2: yep. And if those are t- if that fit to the carrier is too loose or too tight, it can it can cause Cost problems. problems. Yep. Okay. So too st- tight's usually less of a problem. Too loose is you'll get gas blow by and then yeah, yeah.
1: kind of like a piston ring. That's yeah, no good. Exactly. Either. Right. So the uh, last step further back from there, I guess you have a trigger which can play into it a little bit, but also you've got the buffer and the spring and the right. different kind of standards there. You know, I've yeah. you know often heard about the. The H bar, or excuse me, the the heavy buffers and the yep. different springs and the sizes and weights.
2: Yep. So the the two big delineations that you'll see is three buffer is uh, carbine and rifle. Okay. Um. And and basically with that, so carbine encompasses all of like the four position, five position, six position stocks, like the what you see. Mill spread traditionally kind of from like yeah an M4. Mm-hmm. So if you push a button and your stock slides back and forth, um, into different locations, you you've got a carbine buffer. If you have just a fixed stock, like the old A1, A2, uh, the Magpul PRS, you know, stuff like that, now the newer ones fit on either buffer Mm -hmm. tube. But if you have a solid cylindrical buffer tube that's about a foot long, that's a rifle. And so you need to match your buffer to that buffer tube because the lengths are different. So the compressed spring length is is different. So if Mm -hmm. you put a a carbine buffer will fit in a rifle tube, and then your bolt carrier will bottom out on the tube and cause damage, basically. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, you know, yeah. But once you get into those main categories, then basically what you're seeing is there's a standard, which is about usually around three ounces. And then you'll go to H1, which means heavy, heavy one, H2, H3. And then there's even more beyond that. Like, an, wow. yeah. So there's you
1: really need to tune something.
2: Right. And so basically, that's just offering resistance to the oncoming gas flow. Just um,
1: slow things to, down to
2: either slow or speed things up. You get more weight, it's going to go slower. If you get too heavy, then the gas doesn't have enough juice to push it all the way back and actually cycle the action. Mm. Uh, and if it's too light, then all that gas, you know, maybe you did something that a system up front that's providing a ton of gas back, then it can make the bolt carrier velocity so fast that it will not reliably cycle. It will feed cases back into the action, uh, you know. So you mm-hmm. can, yeah, that's called overgassing, basically
1: awesome hornady subsonic ammunition now available in a variety
0: of offerings to include the 3030 and 4570 for ammunition that delivers big results without a big bang hornady subsonic ammunition
1: well that's definitely a, a really concise picture i know we just talked for the last whatever it's been 10 or 15 minutes in kind of great detail about those parts jud do you wish you would have had this information or miles when you built your first ar
0: Yes and no. It it was a fun trial and error process. A was lot it, of error, but yeah. Look, like I guess learning it, it definitely would have helped. Yeah, if if that's the answer you're looking for, but yeah. Well, and
1: I'm not. I was just curious. You know, like I said, I'm really a an entry level builder in the AR space, and you know, I wish I would have. I this information was probably out there, but I wish I would have had a miles when yeah. I built my first one.
0: Oh yeah, I I would say the if if you're out there and you're interested in in putting an AR together. With that information, I mean for the cliff notes version if you take anything from this episode, just know that it is a juggling act. You know, if if you tweak something one part, it's going to potentially affect everything else. If you're focusing on one type of ammunition and then you you tune your AR to shoot that and you switch to something else, there's potential that it's going to not function the same too, so just, just, yeah, be mindful that it is a juggling act. Cause that's what I went through. You know, even I was just trying on my blackout, I was just trying to shoot subloads, subsonic loads, either the, the 208s or the 190 sub Xs. And yeah, I, I would tweak one thing and, oh, okay. That would bring up an issue yeah, on downstream. something else. So I just kept chasing my tail. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that. just be mindful that.
1: That is a juggling it, act. Yep. Yeah. Well, and you, I mean, it's, easy to see, at least in my eyes, like you have uh, this system where everything's designed to be interchangeable and this brand and that brand and right. the Frankenstein guns, and you can throw all these different parts together that should work together. Well, there's manufacturing tolerances and there's different ammo and different, you know, tolerances with each, within each one of these individual parts that could just, like you mentioned, just the downstream effect of you turn this knob once, will it also turn those other three knobs that I wasn't aware of? And it can be a juggling act. And just to throw another ball up into your juggling act, let's talk a little bit now about the ammo side. So that's kind of how gas impingement—that's the parts. That's how it works. Let's look at the ammo side because that's another thing that just makes it harder to balance. You know, we can talk about things like uh, bullet weight and dwell time and gas volume. Because you said it earlier, Miles. It's really gas volume and pressure and how can we use those things to make this firearm you know cycle correctly. So right. Different ammo has different bullet weights and different powder. So how, how does that affect this whole gas impingement system?
2: Um, yeah, and I think we covered some of this on the internal ballistics oh, yeah. podcast. If um, you
1: haven't as a listener, if you haven't listened to that one yet, probably helpful for this portion if you do. And it's just a great episode altogether. That was episode number 28, uh, internal ballistics.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, when you, when you set off around... And the the primer flashes into the powder, and you start burning powder. Um, different powders have different burn rates, and they have different energy contents and different like volumes that they will produce as a gas form. If that okay. if that makes yeah. sense, right?
1: So there's not always a direct correlation of thirty grains of powder produces X amount of gas volume.
2: Right. Okay. Right. And and especially at varying lengths of bore with varying bullet weights, that that starts getting real muddy real quick right? Okay. you know how those things interact yeah there's a lot of push and pull give and take on a lot of those things so what you'll see is like a super lightweight bullet will require a certain burn rate of powder a certain family of powders um, and generally speaking will produce lower port pressure than if i take that same cartridge and run to the same peak pressure with a much heavier bullet. So okay. if I took a 40 grain bullet in a, in a 5.56 five, AR, those sometimes can be the hardest thing to get to cycle an AR-15. Whereas if I take a 75 grain load, well, I might over gas, maybe it might tend to over gas, but it's for sure going to run like any decently proportioned assembly of parts.
1: Okay. So Yeah. Talk about a balancing act there. Cause right. yeah, just in 5.56, five, 2.23 bullet weights, very
2: yeah. So wild. You can get down thirty thirty-five grains, forty grains, all the way up, you know, eighty, well, in an AR seventy-five, yeah. seventy-seven, eighty. Yeah, there's you know, there's some of them up there that yeah. So um what you can run into, and I guess we should talk about adjustable gas blocks as yeah. well while we're here. Um that's one thing that you can do because basically you're you're creating that push from the gas and then you're counteracting it with weight and spring rate, right? And so you can adjust the push from the gas with an adjustable gas block, right? You can never make more gas than what comes out of there. So if you're under-gassed, you got no, an adjustable gas block isn't going to help you. But if you have enough or too much gas, you can tune it down with an adjustable gas block. Okay. And what that that just runs a a screw basically. There's a hole, and you run a screw past it, and you just close and close and close. It's basically
1: pretty simple design. A,
2: yeah, it's just a variable, you know surface area of how much gas can flow through. Just like we talk, like a smaller gas port allows less gas through. Mm -hmm. Then you're just, you're artificially creating that in between the gas block or in between the gas port and the gas tube. Got it.
1: Okay. Well, let's change that up or not change it up, but just expand on that just a little bit further, not as far as the gas block goes, but with ammo, because
2: that's just in
1: 223556. Right. Let's look at something like a six millimeter arc or, uh, you know, there you've got 58 grain bullets you could hand load up to 110 grain bullets. Or 300 blackout, like Judd's been talking about. Right. You've got bullets up as heavy as, you know, some manufacturers, 220 grains. 240s. And you can, you can, can go all the way down to 125, 100-grain 100 bullets. So you've right. got almost 150 grains difference in bullet weight, which 150 grains of difference, 150 is oh. the weight of a bullet.
2: Yeah. Certain cartridges, you can get a huge, huge range of... of, and And then the other thing on top of that... Uh, at some point, usually those will transition from being a full, like I call a full power where basically the the goal is to get as much velocity out of it with a supersonic, with a lighter weight supersonic load to now you're trying to regulate the velocity, not so much get as much energy out of it as you possibly can, because you want to hit below that threshold that will create a supersonic crack, right? With 300 blackout subs. So in that 190 to 220 grain range. Usually, those are gonna run much lower peak pressure as sure. as well as requiring much smaller volumes of powder because you have so much bullet there right so uh that that becomes like a real balancing act in and of itself in that subsonic realm, but yeah, yeah so you' got a huge range, and so you'll see on a lot of um higher end factory factory guns that are meant to be three hundred blackout uh from the get go purpose built that way they'll have even Blanket adjustable gas settings that are like, okay, well, this is supersonic. This mm. is subsonic. Ah. And, and what that is, the supersonic cuts off a lot of gas flow. The supersonic or the subsonic opens, Ope it, it, up. opens it up because you're going to need it. You're trying to get as much as, of it as you can to, to cycle the, the action. So yeah. you,
0: you have to go adjustable gas block if you're wanting to. If you want to flip in between the two,
2: it can be. There are certain circumstances that will basically make it, yeah, make it impossible to find a happy setting that will run super lightweight and super heavy. You, you may get mm. stuck into that. And then the other thing that I guess we should talk about too, is the addition of a suppressor. Yeah. The suppressor will hold on to a higher level of gas pressure in the bore for a longer period of time. Mm. So if you, yeah, if you're running towards the top end of like, uh, like you're overgassed. And then you throw a suppressor on top of it. You can now
1: you're going to be really over gas.
2: You can make things non-functional in a hurry.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there's so much nuance uh, to all of that, and like you mentioned there just a second ago, Judd, it might be you know like you have to have an adjustable gas block to get some things to run subsonic or supersonic. And also, I would speculate you might need an adjustable gas block if you want to run heavyweight supersonic and lightweight supersonic. Yep. Um, you know, like I think of the six arc where you've got, you know, let's say you wanted to handle those 58s or those 75s, but you also want to shoot 108 factory ammo. You go an entirely different burn speed of propellant, a similar charge weight, but different gas volume by a lot. And we did not mention dwell time.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. So what dwell time is, is the time, uh, while the bullet is going down bore, basically from when it passes the gas port and gas starts going up into the gas tube. Uh, That time from that moment, that's the start of it, to when the bullet exits the muzzle. That's dwell time. Uh, And generally speaking, longer dwell times will give you more gas back through the gas port. Because it's under pressure still. Right, right. And so where you can run into trouble here is if you have a ton of dwell time, you can have gas come back and actually try to unlock and extract a cartridge while you still have pressure built yep. up in the bore, so the
1: brass is swollen to the chamber walls it's not wanting to extract likely yeah but your bolt says it's time to come out of there
2: right yeah because the name of the game is to have the bullet exit out of the muzzle before things start to try to unlock mm-hmm. for sure yep. you don't want bullet in the bore with your action unlocking um, and even if the bullet is already out of the bore but the system is still highly pressurized it takes time for all that pressure to evacuate the bore um, and all this has happened super quick. So your margins are, are pretty thin here, but yeah, if, if the, even if the bullets already gone and you've still got built up pressure, uh, while you're trying to extract, that's where a lot of times you'll see people will report, well, I'm getting pressure signs. I'm getting ejector swipes off yeah, of my ripped case. Heads, right. Man. And then if we test that same ammo in a, in a pressure and velocity, single shot, you know, bolt action, more or less, you can think of it. If we pressure test it there, peak pressure is fine. Um, cause it's generally a timing, issue. right. And a bolt action, if you see ejector swipes, I can pretty much bank on you're over 70,000 PSI. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you've you're exceeded, right yeah, you're, you're running high pressure loads to get extractor swipes on a bolt action to get it in a gas gun. I would say generally, no, I mean, you can, you can, depending on how your gas system is set up and dwell time and all that, um, you can see ejector swipes on forty five thousand psi ammo
1: because the timing if, is right, wrong. If the gas yeah.
2: timing of all of what you are doing is wrong. Wow. Um, and and generally to correct that, it's you put more weight, more spring, um, and and tune down the gas. Um, there are some setups, just the combination of things, a particular barrel, a particular gas port size, a gas length, that you may never get away from. It. Just you know, you, it's there, and you just there with what you've got, you might not be able to tune it out. Mm. Um, and still have the gun run. Um, wow. So ga- like ejector swipes and a gas gun, not great, but not like, oh God, I should stop.
1: Okay, fair yeah, enough. And things. again, that timing, such a tight rope. And it, you know, you going through all of this, uh, it really makes me wonder how any of the guns operate at all. Because we're measuring <laughs> things in tiny microsecond chunks and all that has to be right.
2: Right. And that's, so generally speaking, if you want things to work, it's like the military has put 60 years of, or more now, of development into the AR-15 M16 system um, and, and basically tuned it out for reliability. So if you just go mil-spec everything with a 5.56 and, and run 62 to 75 grain, 77 grain ammunition, you're probably not going to run into okay. any problems.
1: Well, what if you're trying to build a 300 blackout ultralight to run subsonics? <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah. Then, <laughs> uh, then
1: you have to start really doing then, some homework.
2: Yeah. Then it, again, it's just that you're you're balancing out how much gas you're feeding back versus how much weight and spring you got on the back end. Okay. And so if if it's not if it's short stroking, uh, not getting you know not locking back, then reduce the weight or the spring rate on the back end, or open up the gas yes. flow if you can. If it, if yeah, you may have to find a gunsmith or somebody to open up the gas port for you. That's kind of usually the last resort. I would generally say work on the, the replaceable parts first. That's yeah. the easiest thing. Plug and, and then, play. Yeah. And if you okay. can't get anything to work, then then maybe look into, you might have
0: a special child
2: yeah. that needs some. I, uh, well,
0: I feel like you're talking right to me. I right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I that was. was. That was my experience when I put together my 300 Blackout. And yeah, I wanted it to shoot subsonic.
1: Was that your first AR build?
0: That was my first AR okay. build. And so, my yeah. longest AR build. Took, took a while to get that thing. All right. Going. The HIT Target Impact Indicator easily attaches to most target stands. The highly sensitive internal accelerometer detects vibration
1: when the target is impacted. Light it up with the HIT Target Impact Indicator
0: from Hornady.
1: Well, let's shift gears into you've got all of these parts. We know how they work. We know what they are. We've got talked about the ammo. Now, okay, how do we tune something up? And, and Judd, I'm going to bounce that right back to you. So you walk us through what happened and kind of what knobs you went to turn first uh to to diagnose what was going on
0: yeah i'll kind of have to recall the order of events here because it's it's been a chunk of years now and i will say i will i'll i'll talk through the way i did it it may not be the right way it may not be the wrong way it It was a way it was a way so and again that was my first ar build so it was just a trial and error deal at the time i was probably pretty frustrated looking back it was a lot of fun yeah. But yeah, at the time I was, Type I was frustrated. Fun. So yeah, I, uh, I went adjustable gas block on that just cause you know, I assumed there could be some finicky things. Uh, and what, I think I just bought a complete lower and then pieced on the rest, everything else. Uh, I just could not get enough gas. So I thought, so I was cutting buffer springs, right or wrong, uh, What I even do, I, what I actually ended up doing is I changed the trigger out even thinking, you know, there, there was a lot of force on my bolt. And then I drilled out the gas port too. I think I just went on the manufacturer of the gas block, figured out what the diameter was, the port on the gas block.
1: Found a drill and.
0: Found a drill and a bit and (laughs) drilled out. And again, uh, it, it, it was a cheap, I'll use cheap loosely. I think it was like a hundred dollar barrel at the time. Oh, a uh
1: short short sucker too. Yep, yeah, Short
0: barrel. So I kind of took the risk. If I if I mess it up, you know, it, it's a short barrel, it doesn't have to be super accurate. You've so. lost more
1: than that as casino, so we'll gamble <laughs> well, yeah. gamble with the barrel. <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe we won't get into that. But yeah. <laughs> uh so anyway, I, I drilled the thing out and I, I think what it actually came down to, I, I, I kind of skipped ahead of myself. The last thing I switched, even I cut the buffer, uh the spring down to a point where it was like I don't think I'm going to go any farther. I've I've cut a lot of this off. Uh, Drilled out that gas port, had the gas wide open, getting everything that I can. And I don't know why or how, again, seven-month process. I'd, I'd work on the thing, put it down. Okay, get some encouragement, come back uh, a week or two yeah. or however long later, mess with something Order else. Order
1: parts for Midway.
0: <laughs> and then I I don't know how it came to me. And again, this this is just the way it worked out. And I, it may not be like this all the time. You guys may not even agree with me, but I made this change and it fixed it. I just thought about, you know, the trigger putting force when it's, when it's pushing the bolt back. The trigger I felt like was putting a bunch of force on the bolt. So I think I had a LaRue in my desk. I put that on there, functioned great. I haven't touched it since. So, yeah, once I switched the trigger, you know, yeah. again, I drilled the gas port out. Yeah, did I did all those. I things. did the buffer thing. And then when I switched to a different trigger, just, you know, it may not have been a better trigger, just the way it contacted my bolt carrier, now it functioned. So, wow. so and I have, yeah, again, I, have, I haven't touched it. The gas is wide open.
2: Different and it trigger.
0: Works. Yep. And it, and it works fine. And the thing too is, with that little barrel at 100 yards, I can put out a little two-inch uh, piece of steel, and we just have it for fun. And that thing will smack that little piece I of steel like with it. that little yeah. barrel. So yeah, awesome. It's a lot
1: of fun. So for the for the guys out there listening, and for me who's got some builds coming up, and obviously the 22 arc, uh, maybe uh, maybe another blackout pistol in, in my future as well. So when we say we got problems, we need to tune them. We're talking either one, it's overgassed, and you're getting feeding issues. Uh, and we'll talk about how to notice that like maybe your ejection pattern and the, or it's not getting enough gas and it's not locking back on an empty magazine and it's not feeding and then I'd like to also talk about how it looks like it might be under gassed right but it's actually over gassed so you're skipping over lo- the lock up and you're not feeding well because it's then it's, that's gray area but yeah let's first talk about that ejection because a lot of people talk about oh i'm ejecting at one two three four five o'clock uh and what does that mean and, and is it a sweet spot or is that more dogma? What is that?
2: Uh generally speaking it's it's that's true and okay. from what I've seen um so we did some high speed footage cuz I had a six arc that I had built um that was the opposite that was overgassed so I they were doing some high speed shoots for marketing for getting gel shots and stuff and I was like well you guys got it set up let's let's get some high speed footage of this thing and so just see what's going on there. Right. Um, and in, in the process of tuning out that problem, a couple of high speed video shoots um, that I got in on, what I seen was that the, basically the carrier pulls the bolt back and there's a little plunger ejector on there, right? And so it's got a spring plunger and more or less the sideways velocity of the cartridge case, once it starts to eject, once it clears the port and throws it out, the side, the, the x vector, right, is more or less the same, regardless of how fast the bolts moving backwards,
1: it kicks it's, out it's going same.
2: sideways at the same velocity. Okay. But what changes with the gas flow uh is the bolt carrier velocity. And so uh the faster that goes backwards with the same amount going sideways, the more rearward you're gonna go. Okay. And so it's a little bit counterintuitive because generally people say well four, three to four o'clock is the place to be. So you would think then the faster the bolt carrier moves back, well, the more rearward it's going to move. What gets in the way of that is your ejection port and your brass deflector on the side of the upper. Okay. And so if you are moving backwards so fast that the case can't clear the ejection port before it hits it, then that's what starts throwing you back up forward. Oh, like to the one o'clock one position. One o'clock, yeah. Oh. And so generally that's the reason why. And what you'll see is a lot of, you'll see dings on the cases. I mean, the ARs are going to ding the cases no matter what, but <laughs> yep, uh, you'll see like pretty violent dings on the shoulder, on the body of the case. You'll see scratch marks on your upper inside the ejection port where the cases just, retwe- you know, repeatedly smack the, the rear section of the ejection port. And so the case hasn't been able to clear the ejection port before it smacks into something and then that bounces it back forward. Wow. Whereas in a, like a, a you know a well running system, I guess we'll say the case maybe comes back and just kisses the brass deflector, but it still is going to go three to four o'clock.
0: Got um, it. One thing I'll throw in there <laughs> before we move on. Uh, Miles did mention the high speed. A trick that I've done. Uh, if you have an iPhone, they re- they record slow mo up to 240 frames a second. I think. Which is still, I mean, things are moving fast, so yeah. you only catch a little glimpse. But after doing it a couple of times, I'll set my phone up, prop it up, hit record in slow mo, and then you know have it focused on the the bolt and take a shot. And I'm able to play it back, you know, to see if I'm short stroking or if I'm overgassed or whatnot. I've used that all the time when I'm when I'm messing with ARs. Uh-huh. I've used my iPhone on slow mo to. That's really interesting. Keep an eye on that, and yep, that yep. might
1: be really helpful for this next point, which is you know, it's okay. Generally a short stroke be the bolt doesn't come back far enough to strip a new round out generally because you're, you're slightly under gassed. Well, sometimes you can be so over gassed that the return velocity is so fast. You're not right. going to lock up and you're, you're not going to strip another round. Uh, that can look like under gas, but with that little trick, you might be able to, yep, to that, see that.
0: That's, yeah. that's how I found that. So I, built a six arc here recently and yeah buddy i've never dealt with anything being over gas like that
1: so. well, you built this thing to the nines too, come you know unrelated to your the, <laughs> well, the topic yeah. this thing is that's a sexy ar
0: yep Yeah uh, it's, it's it's pretty nice i still have yet to get it out and actually use it in the field but i've got it uh, right. <laughs> but yeah so i went lightweight uh bolt carrier group on that so it's kind of skele- skeletonized it has some you know steel cut out and whatnot uh So I did, again, go with the adjustable gas block. So I have some control on that. If I am over gas because of that lightweight bolt carrier, I also went with a bleeder gas block. So I can actually let even more gas out if I'm over gas. So not only can I restrict it, I can just let gas out the front end. Uh, And yeah, I had the thing, I can't remember where, there's a recommendation on that gas block of, you know, start here and then. Use your angles of where your brass is ejecting to adjust. And my brass was going far forward, uh, but I wasn't locking the bolt back. So I'm like, what the heck is going on? Mm. It's giving me over gas signs, but I'm not locking the bolt back. So I'm like, well, I'm short stroking.
1: It's like reading a woman. You've got (laughs) got mixed signals here.
0: I was stumped and I've never dealt with that before. So I think I chatted with you, Miles, and then again, use my iPhone trick. And sure enough, yeah, it it's sending the bolt all the way back, but so fast with so much gas that it was coming back before it could, you know, lock up before it could, yeah. but.
1: That's a lot going on yeah. and, and then a lot to understand and a lot to read. So, all right, let's say you've got, you know, you know, you're running subsonics, let's say, or you're running something that maybe has higher gas volume, like our super performance ammo or something like that, or you're just tuning up an AR and you really want it to be perfect. So, of all these knobs that we talked about—adjustable gas blocks, buffer weight, um, the spring, adding a suppressor to things, bolt mass—you um, know what kind of knobs are you turning? And when you like isolate, okay, here's here's the problem. How do I fix it? Do you have a knob that you generally go to first to turn?
2: Yeah, I would say priority wise, adjustable gas blocks are the easy button. That's okay. It's a one and done purchase, and it gives you a, a pretty wide range of adjustment. To cover most circumstances. Um, in the event that that doesn't cover it, you're still, you're not getting enough gas or you're getting too much. It's still at the extreme ends of that. Then you got to go to buffer weights. You that's, go buffer that's weight next? That's usually my number two. Okay. Um, and then you can, again, you got different weights. So if it's over gas, put a heavier buffer in it. If it's under gas, try putting a lighter buffer in it. And you can even go so far as, like, people sell kits that you can knock the roll pin out of the back of the buffer and replace. There's a stack of different weights, different material weights inside of there. Okay. And so there's people that sell, you know, different denser or or less dense materials that that you can put in there. So you can put in tungsten, you know, weights into your buffer and get it even heavier. Or you can replace them with, you know, aluminum or steel and lighten them up a little bit uh, if you want to get into that nuanced stuff. If that's still not getting you there, I would try a different spring um, personally, just to see if you can get away with it. And then like last resort or, and then your bolt carrier too, is one that you can add or remove weight from as well. Um, I, I try to a- adjust it with, with parts like Before yeah, adjustable gas or material. remove or, or yeah. And if that's still not doing it for you, um, check the seal or the alignment of your gas block. That's a big one. Um, if you put on your gas block with a set screw and the, you know, it's rotated so that the port in the gas block isn't lined up with the port in your barrel, you can artificially cut off a ton of gas that sure. way. Um, so that's, that's an, you know, a, like a no brainer, like, Oh, check that. Cause yeah. Before it, you change something, yeah, make sure it's either rotated right. or too far forward or backward. It, it, it's easy enough to do that. Even if you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. or think you know what you're doing, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we've all... all, I've been there. Yeah, we've (laughs) all been there. But, uh, and then, yeah, uh, last resort. It's almost better to contact the manufacturer of the barrel at that point and say, hey, guys, I'm... What am I missing here? I've gone through all these things. See if they'll help you. And as like a last, last resort, if you got the ability, maybe send that off or, or do it yourself. Yeah. In small increments, open up that gas port.
1: Yeah. That's absolute last resort.
2: Yeah. That's like almost... Yeah. Almost Break never. Break in case of emergency. Yeah, yeah. Almost never get there, but sometimes, sometimes that's what, what it needs.
1: Yeah. Well, and in talking about all this, I keep coming back to it. Like, it's amazing that these things even work ever, but that they work so darn well. And as you get into different cartridges, we mentioned the 6-Arc and the 300 Blackout, and, and there are many, many others. Yeah. You may find a situation where there is no happy spot. It either works really well with this or it doesn't yeah. work with that. Yeah. And sometimes that's, that can be hard to accept because you want it to work.
2: That's, yeah, physics uh, doesn't care about your feelings sometimes. Generally, no. Yeah, so, yeah.
1: Physicists uh, also <laughs> don't care about your feelings. <laughs> I don't know many physicists, but...
2: Some of them, maybe. Yeah. A little empathetic, but uh, yeah, the, there, uh, there can be situations too, and I think we kind of hit on it, but I'll go into a little more depth, where you tune your setup for... Um, A particular weightable. I set up my AR because I'm just going to run 55 grain FMJ blast ammo. Uh, I adjust the gas block so it locks back on an empty mag, give it a couple extra clicks, and it runs reliably. Um, Maybe I did that in the heat of summer. There can be things like shooting that same ammunition at negative 5 degrees in Nebraska this winter where the temperature change has changed the burn of the powder enough that I'm not getting enough gas anymore. To cycle mm-hmm. reliably, cycle the action, or vice versa. I set it up when it's you know cold in the winter, and now in the summer it's like beating the heck out of the system, way over gas.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
2: The addition of a suppressor is is the same thing. You you set it up without a suppressor, you put a suppressor on it. It you might have problems. Flow through or not, you're probably going to have more gas coming yeah. through it, right? The flow through suppressors.
1: Yeah, let's talk about those for a minute because I'm relatively a unfamiliar. Bit,
2: the flow through suppressors. Generally speaking, are are quiet enough, but they're not going to be as quiet as the quietest non-flow-through suppressor.
1: Okay. Which may not be, you know, in your hierarchy of, you know, right. components of why you need them to do what they do. If
2: I want my AR to run and I just want it to run and tame down the noise, flow-through suppressors are awesome. Yeah. Um, a lot of duty guns for departments and, and military application. That's the go to. That's the way to go. Yeah. Is because
1: there like a baffle design that's different than a standard built suppressor? Yeah,
2: basically, it's it's got a flow through design where the gas flows through the suppressor and usually comes out of the muzzle of the suppressor. Okay. Whereas a basic, usually a, a traditional suppressor has just a series of baffles that kind of trap the gas and and slow it down from coming out. I mean, oh,
1: so that m- could create more pressure.
2: It, it holds on to a higher system. pressure longer in, in the bore and yeah. generally gets more gas back through the system. To oh, reaction. that's
1: why when uh, you shoot a, a six arc or a six, five grindle with a regular can on that you haven't tuned up and you and, get peppered in yeah, the face. And
2: you start bleeding Yeah, or not bleeding, I'm burning. sorry. Burning? No, you start, <laughs> your eyes bleeding. start, um, yeah, burning and you start crying. Like, yeah. Yeah. You feel it on your face. Yeah. And- yeah emotional bleed (laughs) (laughs) right
1: hornady v-match ammunition loaded exclusively with hornady eld vt bullets elevate your varmint shooting experience shatter records and make your mark like never before with v-match ammunition from hornady so the the flow through it lets that air it's probably restricting it slowing it down but it's letting it get out of the system without Pushing or holding so on much, as much yeah, pressure,
2: exactly. It doesn't yeah, doesn't hold on to as much. It lets it get kind of out of the front of the gun better than a traditional suppressor will. Okay. Um, so those generally have less of an effect, but a lot of times they still will have an effect. Sure. Um, but you'll see in the effect, like if you shoot them back to back, you know, like a very, a very uh, efficient like trap the gas traditional suppressor versus a, a flow through. You'll see it on the ejected brass. The flow through will have cleaner brass. The inside of the action. For you know, fire a hundred rounds out of both. One will be cake full of carbon. One will be not so cake full of carbon. It'll mm-hmm. be closer to one that you shot without a suppressor.
1: Okay, but generally um, in that same situation, the one that does flow through might be just a little bit louder.
2: Right. Yeah. Potentially for the most for the most part, yeah. It, and there there are some the newer ones that are out there. Like there's some pretty. Pretty good ones, but yeah. you're almost always going to get a quieter system with a traditional system. Mm, just kind of a it's, trade-off. It's a trade-off. Yeah. Yep. Definitely a trade-off. For gas gun, I, I definitely recommend looking into the flow-through suppressors because, yeah, for the sake of your eyes and the ammonia, like feeling that you get out of that and like want to cry and getting peppered with gas and whatnot, like the flow-through suppressors are for sure better for that. Yeah. And and it can tame them down the noise level. It can tame that down to a, an acceptable level, yeah. I guess we'll say. that It's like, yeah. yeah.
1: Very interesting. It,
2: it, it's, it's yeah, net benefit for you, and then you don't have as much of the stark contrast of on and off. You can find you you have a much better chance of finding a gas setting that will work with the suppressor on, with the suppressor off, with a flow through. Okay. With the traditional suppressors, you run that ragged edge where it barely works without the suppressor, and then you put the suppressor on, and it's almost overgassed.
0: Mm. So, interesting. Yeah,
2: you can you can fight that. So generally. I don't have any flow through suppressors. Uh, I set my stuff up to run with a can and I just, it has to run with a can and yeah. that's where I'm at. You know? awesome. So if I take the can off, I know I'm going to have to either open it up or run it like a bolt action.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which is not the desired goal. Yep. Uh, it's crazy. You know, we start talking about powder burn rate, how much that can affect it. Right. And yeah. Judd, I know you had just this same experience Miles just talked about where you got oh. her up and running, she's running good. and. Now it's cold outside.
0: Yeah. So, yep, going back to that six arc that I put together uh, to get that to function down at the lab. I don't know. What do we run the 70, 70 degrees? degrees? Yeah. yeah. So at 70 degrees, uh, I had to bleed out some gas since I was overgassed, and almost have the thing wide open where it's letting as much gas out as it can. uh, And that was down in the lab. Functioned great, shot great. Uh, I got a scope on that thing, took it outside, and that was probably December when I did that took it outside to zero that scope and yeah it was 1520 degrees it didn't want to function anymore it didn't mm-hmm. want to pick up the next round so i had to cut that uh, bleeder off so it would shoot more gas back through mm-hmm. the system and got it functioning so there may be just a couple corks with with that gun yeah. you know i've yet to bring it back inside and at 70 degrees and shoot it to see how it functions but you know i may just have to you know be a little mindful of where I need to have that gas system. Yeah. Well, and these Uh, new
1: gas blocks, they make it pretty easy to adjust. And yours with the bleeder system, it's not like you have to strip the whole gun apart to get to it. It's relatively simple.
2: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, The other thing to think about too with this is lubrication. Oh, Uh, yeah. That's a huge, I mean, that should go without... It's firearm maintenance, period. Yeah, it should go without saying. But yeah, if if you put lubricant on it and it dries away or burns away and then you cake that action full of carbon, well, that's going to impede motion and it will it may start short-stroking on you as well.
0: Well, Mm -hmm. I'll have to give a shout-out to Preston on that one because I was way over-lubricated on on mine, and then he kind of walked me through, you know, some actual points of where to put the lubrication in and you know, from... My thought process, I'm lubing that thing up. Oh, yeah. That's definitely not the case. you would know, a- have been good in the Marine Corps. you know open, <laughs> <yeah>, open <laughs> yeah, the bolt up and right. hose it down with CLP.
1: Yeah. Get yeah. your
2: Windex bottle full of CLP in. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, no,
1: that is a good point. Firearm maintenance as a whole, especially in a gas-operated system, you throw a suppressor on there, you're just trapping a lot of that sooty carbon in there, and things can get gummed up pretty quickly. And, you know, if that doesn't have a place to go, or you know, there's a, there's a finite amount of how gummy— and how full of carbon you can run a gas-operated system before you run into problems that can potentially, you know, cause damage to the firearm.
2: Yeah. I would say I, I kind of, old, old habits die hard. I kind of just add oil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. But, we but have, i under, understanding that there's a limit to where uh, you can't just do this no more. You got to break apart and. Get the sludge yeah. out of that. Yeah.
0: And that's about when you miss a coyote or two. When it's yeah. <laughs> zero degrees and you're out with the thermal. Gosh dang it. Should have yeah. cleaned this thing before oh, we came out. <laughs>
1: nothing's worth missing a coyote, that is for sure. <laughs> yep. Uh but this has been interesting to to kind of really dive into each component, you know, the powder and the different parts on the gun and what knobs to turn. And and again, like Judd brought it up kind of midway through this podcast here, is it really is a balancing act and understand that you're juggling things and Sometimes you can juggle all the things. Sometimes you can juggle most of the things, but not others. And I think back to my time working with Jaden when we were doing the load development on the uh, uh, 224 Valkyrie options that we're going to have a 60 grain Varmint Express, 75 grain Boattail Hollow Point in the black line, and an 88 grain ELD match. And Miles, you were part of this doing all the work. And okay, yep, we finally got this one. This one works great. Well, when we take it from the pressure and velocity barrel and the accuracy barrels into actual firearms, we were running into problems with. It would run this great, but it wouldn't run this. And right. and if we set it up to run this, it wouldn't run that. It was really a sticky widget. And finally, we kind of came to the toss your hands up. Like we can't dedicate a gas system that will run all of them. So yeah. kind of nuance there. I would like one last point to get your thoughts on it. I have no dog in this fight. I don't know anything about it, but is there a accuracy component to this orchestration of this symphony of getting gas to run the gun. Is there an accuracy component in your speculation or in your testing?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So when I set up my gas gun, uh, it was a six millimeter arc with a 24 inch barrel. And I for a, the PRS For division, PRS, yeah. yep. Um, and 24 inch barrel with a rifle plus one gas system, adjustable gas block. Uh, I did a couple of tests with different powders and uh, different gas block settings, basically from just enough to run the gun, and then I just opened it incrementally all the way until it was all the way open. Uh, and probably, and I think it was like four different segments. And what I saw was that the bulk, the bulk of my shots stayed the same, but as I increased the the gas flow, the number and the severity of like the random errant yeah, flyers,
1: the, the outer edges of the bell curve, yeah, here. Uh,
2: got worse and worse and worse with more gas. Really? Yep. Um, I'm not going to say that's going to happen every time. Cause I'm sure as soon as I say that we'll get 20 people in the comments that yeah. tell me I'm wrong. I'd love 20 people in the comments. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, or that they had an opposite experience and that very well may be the yeah. case. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying that's going to happen every time, but it was pretty. Yeah. Pretty eye-opening for me because yeah. I was like, oh, gun runs, gun runs, whatever, send it. Um, but yeah, it was a very distinct trend that more gas beyond just enough to cycle it was causing more of those wildfires. So
1: interesting. Uh,
2: a pattern that would normally, you know, be in the one point eight to two point one inch range, you know, for twenty shots, I was getting three point six inch extreme wow. spreads. But the bulk the of your shots
1: still landing where right. you'd want them is just the severity of those outliers. Right. Right. Interesting. Do you speculate that is just more gas, you know, kicking off the heel of the bullet, or I don't know. Good question.
2: Yeah. I, I, I don't know for sure if it's just parts moving while, like, while the bullet's still in that dwell time, maybe that's some of it, mm. Um, you know, getting more gas maybe opens things up a little quicker and, in some, you know, on the, on the tail end of that bell curve, some of those were getting there fast enough to start really jacking with stuff while, while things are still, you know, corked and under pressure. I, yeah, I don't have, don't have a good speculation on that. I'd have to really. Yeah. Yeah. Revisit that one and dig in a little deeper with some better, better tools. As
1: anecdotal as it may be, I still think that's, that's valid, especially, you know, coming from you knowing that you don't shoot anything less than a 20 shot and that, you know, you're, you're very much, you're very adamant that you don't know everything, but you know what you've tested. And, and in that testing, that's interesting. I uh, can't say I'm much of a precision AR guy. But uh, if I start building something where I'm really looking for accuracy, I will keep that in mind.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, you know, your requirement is two minute of angle, three minute of angle, like, can I hit that coyote at 200 yards and that's it? That's good enough. Or, you know, just out recreationally playing around or, are a lot of like the three gun, a lot of Mm -hmm. the three gun accuracy requirements are not on the same level. Like what I had was
1: speed and function. Yeah, exactly.
2: What I had was still minute and a half. Right. And for an AR, that's pretty solid. Yeah, But it was, yeah, definitely a delineation from a, a solidly sub-minute system, sub-one-minute system to, yeah, add gas in it, creep creeped out of that. Bigger and bigger. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Well, this has been eye-opening for me, again, admittedly as a uh, a novice to the intricacies of the gas gun world. I, I found this pretty educational. Do you guys have anything that you want to add to maybe more of the, the complexities of it or, or to uh, leave our listeners with?
2: I think, yeah, just the biggest thing is to be aware that there's...
1: You might have to turn some knobs.
2: Yeah, there's some things that can change it. If you sight in and set your gun up with 45, 55 grain ammo and you jump up to 77s, 75s, you might encounter some issues. If you put a suppressor on it, you're likely going to see a difference in how the gun runs and cycles. Um, just keep that in mind and try not to get frustrated and work work through it.
1: Right on. Yeah.
0: Is it is it fair to say that if you were going to start your first AR build, is there a, a cartridge that would maybe be a touch easier? Like, would you start 5.56, 2.23?
2: 5.56 is probably the easiest thing. that That's what most of the development of the AR-15's history is based around. Um, and so, so that's an easy go-to as mm-hmm. far as all the different companies making different parts. It, you've got the best chance of everything coming together, fitting and working well yeah. right, off the, right off the
1: bat. Get a couple builds under your belt and then... Uh, one of the things that I've recommended to people is, if you're if you want a gun to to run subs, let I'm going to call out subs specifically because that's generally way the conversation goes. Then just do a little bit of research right out of the gate. Set that thing up to run subs, uh, and you know you're probably not going to have the best luck with supers. You might, I don't know, but if, if that's kind of your first priority, make some some component selections that are going to set that up to be successful because. You don't want to try to, you know, split the difference. And I want to run 125 supers and 208 subs and end up in an area where it doesn't run either of them very well. Right. So that'd be the one thing that I get requested out of me. I get that conversation quite a bit is, you know, it, we're having trouble with subs. What do I do? And
0: Right.
2: Yep. We, you, yeah. There may not be a single setup, single setting on the gas block or s- assembly of parts that runs the, both ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. you you can yeah like i said physics doesn't care
0: no S- sounds just like the prc podcast we just did yeah. you gotta have them all you, you, <laughs> you know gotta what? have You're right. one
2: sub gun and you gotta have one well, supersonic that's the beauty gun. of the I system it. too it's it's so easy to uh to build another upper yeah you know and it's just calling midway usa brownells they're calling out to you yeah start that start that <laughs> Your yeah. <laughs> basket, your parts, your, your, get your cart filled up.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Well, especially now, I mean, we've got the, the 22 arc brand new for 2024. Um, we just returned home from SHOT Show here just, uh, a few days ago and man, the, the 22 arc support was just overwhelming. I mean, there was whole rifle manufacturers, barrel manufacturers, and everybody in between from the big brands to the, you know, to the smaller companies where the there was just a lot of support for the 22 arc, that Grendel bolt face, the arc bolt face, just a little bit easier to find now. Yeah. Um, really high quality parts there and the barrels readily available. Um, so now's the time if you're gonna, you know, if you want to build one, now's the time it's, uh, it's going to be a fun, hot, odd little cartridge right. in a, in a gas gun.
2: Yep. No. And I was kind of slow to adopt that one personally, really, but, uh, put one together this winter and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, impressed me. the, the flat shooting stuff, especially those 62s, yeah, um, yeah. that's a pretty point-and-shoot solution.
1: Yeah, so, for night hunting for yeah. those coyotes.
2: Knock down knocked down some raccoons further away than I thought I had a chance.
1: Uh, <laughs> I like it. Well, we need to do all things we can to control that population along with the coyotes as a conservationist and as a hunter. So thanks for doing your part. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, guys? All right. I think so. Well, appreciate all your time, your effort, your uh, your uh deep understanding of how this all works. Thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast and found it educational on not just the systems and how they work, but how they work together and some of the knobs that you can turn to help take that AR fifteen into a really good functioning platform. ARs are fun. They're fun to build, they're fun to shoot and for the last 70 years, it's just been a good time. So hopefully this inspired you to build another one. We'll catch you on the next one guys.